This is the one with the only other chair on Scaro. The Doctor Dodgems. Missy Shafton Clara. Dalek Translate. Time Lady Golf. A poke in the eye for Davros. A tsunami of Dalek jizz. And hang on a minute, lads. Missy's got a great idea. <laughs> it's called <laughs> The Witch's Familiar. Here, Here we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> there we went. <laughs> Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. With flipping and angels now. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who Back When? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another block-rocking episode of Who Back When? A Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Past. That's right. I'm Drew Back When, but you guessed that already. Coming into my eyeballs on my screen balls from Germany balls. <laughs> it's Marie. Ich heiße Marie. <laughs> ah, <laughs> alles gut. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe decide that at the end. Okay. <laughs> also here... In England, but perfectly capable of speaking German if he so wishes, is... Leon. Oh, hello there. Hello. Good Abend, mein Herr. Oh, good Abend. Yeah, natürlich. Sure. Are we just doing this episode in German? I think it will be short. <laughs> Marie, how much sci-fi German have you learned in your first 27 hours of intensive tutorials? Uh, kinda. Kinda? What sort of course is this? Surprisingly not a sci-fi specific German course. Oh, there's a niche in the market there. Yeah, quit it That's right now. <laughs> Leon can set one up and make a mint. <laughs> That's what we're doing tomorrow. Tonight we're reviewing The Witches Familiar. High level, what did people think? Marie, I refuse to I, go first. This is really good. Oh, really? Okay. Leon, I can't speak German. Can you translate that for me? Oh, it's, it's very good, she says. Is that what you say? Hmm, not so much. <laughs> right. Well, Marie, I feel like, full disclosure, I should be fair to you because I messaged Leon earlier today and said that you and he are the only two things standing between this episode and a 5.0. What? So there's that. Kidding? This is nowhere wow. near as good as part one. I look forward to hearing your argument. <laughs> All right, <laughs> fine. Because last week, what did you give last week? Did you give it a 4.9? Yep. I did. And you said... <laughs> The only way is up from here. <laughs> I did. Wow. That is interesting. I can't wait to hear what you think, Drew. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, should we get this beast game out of the way then and get on with it? Oh, let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and, and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The parlours and salons of Scarrow are abuzz with talk of the handsome new visitor, the Doctor, and his private audience with Davros in the infirmary. His companions have run into significant difficulties, and he himself appears to be hampered by a lack of transport options. Doc and Davros dispense with the usual genocidal pleasantries and get down to the grisly business of relating with one another. First Doc takes tea, then he starts cozying up to the doddering despot, laughing at his jokes and siphoning off his own life essence to offer him a final glimpse of sunrise. 
Elsewhere on Scarrow, Missy takes Clara for a reverse Shawshank into the Dalek city by way of the Dalek scattercombs before encasing her in a pepper pot shell and attempting to coerce the Doctor into blasting her to kingdom come. Miss Gowra, you are welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? <laughs> okay, well. We've established our differences. Mm-hmm. I haven't written down any bullet points for a concluding synopsis, rating, what have you, mini, but I have written a two-word sentence <laughs> just to encapsulate my initial response. Oh, and is that sentence more, please? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, the fuck? <laughs> Oh, you genuinely surprised me there. <laughs> I may need to do a little bit of bleeping in this episode. <laughs> well, then people are just going to hear the the what? It could be literally anything. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, no, you're editing this one, aren't you? Yes, I am. Marvellous. <laughs> Does that count as your opening question? The fuck? <laughs> is that but the fuck with a question mark? The thing is, I'm not entirely sure why I wrote that. That's literally my very first note. And my second to last note is also not contextualized. And it's just, what utter shite. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Bring the gamut of profanities. <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs> but did you not say, possibly both of you, that there was a certain fear that the apparent demise of Clara and Missy would be undone in a completely unfounded, not even deus ex machina, just willy-nilly, boom, they're fine. I see what you're saying. I feel like we knew they had to be brought back somehow. We had a suspicion that what we saw on screen was deception mm -hmm. rather than there would be some truly groundbreakingly clever way of bringing them back. What do you think, Marie? I feel like that was more a criticism of last week's episode. So I didn't feel like there was enough tension when they died on screen last week. I was like, oh, okay, like they're going to come back. I know they're coming back. And this week... I thought this would be your favourite bit, Leon. We got to see the old doctors. We got to see them running around in the nest of vampire monkeys and doctors like a billion calculations in a split second and works out how to reverse the polarity and use their technology against them. And, and Missy did the same. And we knew it was going to be something like that. So I don't take any points off this week's episode. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I just say, I'm with Marie on that. We knew that it was going to be a letdown in the sense of we know really what's coming. But the style in which it was delivered with Missy drawing that parallel and adding that panache of seeing the Doctor doing it. That's what I didn't expect, and that is what I enjoyed, and that's what redeemed that sequence for me. Fine. Um, Maybe I'm just stretching for something negative to <laughs> start off with, to be honest with you. I also liked, after all these calculations in this millisecond, she's not impressed with him. She just calls him a swat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first of many great exclamations from Missy in this episode. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm on board with you on that one. And I also really enjoyed that we got that shot of the fourth Doctor. I think it's first the fourth Doctor, then the first Doctor, then it's Capaldi, because she can't really remember which one it is. Yeah. I, I Do you think know that what was I really don't nice. like about that, though? Okay, go ahead. It's that you never see Colin Baker or McCoy in those moments. It's always one of the flagship Doctors, or even a McGann. Put McGann into it and the fan base will just shit themselves. Yeah, that is true. 
Or Eccleston. Yeah, it's always an obvious choice. There are many fine Doctors to choose from. Well, I did really enjoy but that we got to see the fourth and first Doctor there, and I liked Missy's delivery of it, but I did still feel that there was just an instant undoing of the cliffhanger tension, and I would have enjoyed just being ferried into that a little more gradually. It was just a little like, oh, right, cool. Oh, I... I guess there was literally nothing to worry about there then. See, I'm comparing it to Forest of the Dead, Silence in the Library, where that was within a second and a half. Oh, look, I've got a squareness gun. Bzzz, there goes the tension. In so this was one, this. This was also, no, wait, this was the very first thing that we saw. It was, but you've got the camera is spinning. You don't know who's seeing it. Then it's revealed that it's Clara. She comes to rest on Missy. You don't know where they are. It's established they're outside the city. And then Missy says, rather than letting you down instantly let me tell you a story and okay the process has begun but it takes you a couple of minutes to realize what she's talking about so i think the letdown is actually gradually phased in over those couple of minutes i think it would have been better served after we had seen the doctor's disillusionment if we had started with capaldi and he's just heartbroken and he's starting to get furious and then that scene maybe culminates with him just going, like, tell me that she is alive. No, says the Dalek Supreme, she is not alive. They did not survive. This is not subterfuge. And then we cut to spinning Clara. I think that would have been a better start to this. That is a I good idea. Disagree. No, I think that's a really obvious thing to do. And we wouldn't buy it anyway. You see the Doctor being all disappointed and, oh, it's tragic. My, I've like, lost my companion. And you know she's going to be alive. It's not a shock when you then see her dangling from this rope. I like that they did it the other way around. So we actually know something that the Doctor doesn't for once. Hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a good idea. Too. You, you guys are Drew, you're such a, such a turncoat, Drew. You were on my side a second ago. <laughs> yeah, but, but then Marie had her say, and on balance, I'm going to go with Marie. Hey! All right, fine. You win this I was, round, Marie. I was premature in my conclusions. Sorry, Marie. I will never speak over you again. Wonderful. <laughs> Also, also, in that sequence, we get to see how Missy escaped Death in Heaven, which was pretty much we knew what happened even then. But they actually give us a shot of it at three minutes and five. So that is definitively wrapped up. Mm. That actually appears the Doctor not shooting her in the graveyard. Right, all right. So we don't have to speculate about that anymore. And all the while that Missy is doing this, she's talking about hunting Clara, and uh, now I don't see you as sandwiches, because she manages to say something clever, something that impresses even the time lady. I love that she's just sharpening this wooden stick that she's found as well the whole time. It's like, I don't have a weapon, but I'm going to bloody make one so that... She it... has a weapon! She has a brooch made of Dark Star alloy that can penetrate anything. What good yeah, is that gonna wooden stick? That on a, she's not going to waste that on a puny human, is she? Clara's not going to be afraid of a brooch. She needs to see something. Yeah, you don't want your Dark Star alloy covered in dribbly human goo. No, you want it covered in Dalek shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh... You know what? I thought 80% of the Missy appearances in this were absolutely brilliant. Mm. She delivered so many zingers. She was on such good form, as she always is. I don't know when she's not on top form. Missy is wonderful. Yeah. But then this isn't Missy delivery, but 20% of the scenes that had Missy in them really... Actually, you know what? No, I take it back. These are Missy deliveries. These are 20% of the scenes with Missy that really should not have been there. And that were just either nonsensical or too slapsticky for my liking. 
Care to name any? Okay, fine. For example, when Missy gets Dalek Clara to fire the laser, and she's just dodging them in the most comedic slapsticky fashion. <laughs> yes, that does stand out. That is a bit blasé, even for an utter psychopath. Yeah, and dare I use the word, unrealistic. I think she knows that Clara will be doing her best not to point her whisk directly at her, though. I don't think Clara has a say in the matter. It seems as oh, though Clara's this just is been the... taught how to turn left and right. Clara has precision control over this machine at this point. <laughs> but that's the point. It's all mind-controlled, and so if she's thinking really hard, desperately, don't shoot Missy, then she's not going to shoot Missy. I think this is worth putting a pin in and having a whole conversation, because I feel like this episode also calls into question, what is a Dalek? Ooh, that does sound meaty. Mm. Mm. Shall we save that for post-Missy, post-Doctor and Clara and all that stuff, and then get into the existentialism of the Daleks? Existentialism of the Daleks! (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a real barn burner. Yeah. Okay, were there any other Missy scenes? Because, I mean, you say that four-fifths of Missy was as excellent as always, so it's not really fair for me to counter and say, ha that proves my point. I really loved when she goes, Whee! The exact instant there's a huge Dalek explosion. <laughs> I mean, that is slapsticky as hell, but I just yeah. lost my heart to it. You know, I'm really not normally a fan of the slapstick, but I just think that Michelle Gomez just pulls it off. Like, she's so engaging to watch every time, and I really don't mind the slapstick scenes when she's doing it. She's so Yeah, Leon, you love the theatricality, so it's a bit pantomime on occasion. Big difference. Huge difference. (laughs) Go on, go on, name some more, because I will concede that one to you. Okay, how about the scene in which Missy attacks the actual Dalek with her brooch? Why does the Dalek not shoot her? The whole scene... Because his essence is seeping out of him from these holes that she's put. He can't shoot. Takes a long time for her to actually stab him. Mm, That is true. But I think the Dalek is also assessing the situation at the same time. He's probably got to assess whether it's safe to activate his weaponry systems while there's some unassessed damage to the outer casing. You guys have an explanation for everything, don't you? (laughs) Gonna try. (laughs) When the Doctor has been in so many situations where a Dalek could have just shot him point blank and it would all be over, like, they do you a scan, they realise you're a Time Lord or Lady, you've got the two hearts, they don't shoot on sight, they know you're a bit important, and they kind of wait to see what's going on. Yeah, later on, that gambit is exactly what works. Yeah. So actually, for the Dalek to have shot her instantly would be non-canonical. We'd be going, they they never do that. This is unrealistic. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Good point, Drew. Okay, fine. I concede this one. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Four out of five Missy bits in this episode were spot on. So overall, it is absolutely a thumbs up for Missy from me. Do you know what? I really liked seeing Missy without the Doctor as well. I actually wrote down, should Missy have a spin-off? Would that be good to watch? And then me and Jim talked about it and decided it wouldn't be because she would just be chaotic evil and you wouldn't have the counterbalance of the Doctor to like soften her up and show a good side. But it's nice to see her and Clara without the Doctor for a long time. Is it Missy's ambition to go in there, dispense of the current companion, and become the Doctor's new travelling companion? Because she doesn't really need to go back in there. I don't think her endgame is to become the Doctor's new travelling companion. 
I think at one point, oh, I can't even remember whether it's in the past or the future, doesn't the Doctor offer, perhaps Michelle Gomez, perhaps in Series 10, doesn't he offer her the chance, maybe even after she's, so say, become good after a thousand years or something, so she would be that much more inclined to go along with him. He offers her the chance to do that, and she's like, nah, it's beneath me. I'm not all about you. I'm yeah, an end time lady. I remember that. Is her ambition in that case to really hurt the doctor by having him murder his friend? Well, this is the question. Is her intention to get the doctor to murder Clara or does she have enough faith in the doctor that he will always work it out? And would she jump in at the last second and stop it? Does she... I think she really wants him to shoot her. But I don't know if she would then reveal to him that he had shot her. Yeah. Like, I don't know if this is torment for the Doctor or if it's intended as torment for Clara, who's stuck inside this tank and can't defend herself, can't do anything. I think if you look at it through the parallel of Moriarty trying to get Sherlock to bump off Watson so that Moriarty is the Doctor's slash Sherlock's true sole singular focus because... They're nemeses and they need each other. And who's this third wheel? We don't need them. I think, yes, torture Watson, get Watson killed, maybe don't tell Sherlock. And if it doesn't work, then ah, you'll give him another go later on because you've always got a backup plan. You can come back all guns blazing later on. You're never done. You're Moriarty slash Missy slash the master. You can't die. You can escape any situation. We'll figure it out later. Even if they were to become traveling companions, even if they went backpacking across space and time, sooner (laughs) or later, she would have to prove herself unreformed. That's the whole draw of that character. If the master slash Missy were suddenly a good guy, a protagonist, what's the appeal? Yeah, especially the way Michelle Gomez plays it. I mean, I've watched the first animated series of Harley Quinn recently. And Harley Quinn is a baddie, but she's got some principles and some standards. Missy doesn't have any. You can't get behind Missy, really. You can get behind her as an antagonist for a bit until she meets her comeuppance. You can be like, ah, what a shame. But really deep down, you know that the best thing has happened. Hmm. Sidebar, I didn't take you for an animated Harley Quinn fan. Yeah, I just watched a couple and they kept me going. They kept me hooked. Have you watched it? No, no. But, I mean, if you recommend it, I probably will. Well, I'm a sucker for animation, so (laughs) I don't know. It won't change your life, but I found it enjoyable. Cool. All right. (laughs) Slash sidebar. HTML coders will go like... (laughs) Witty. (laughs) (laughs) Shall I grab Jim so you can say it again? (laughs) And he can see that impression you just did of him. <laughs> In a month's time, we'll have quadrupled our audience stats and we'll be like, why did this happen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, how do you feel about Clara then? In part one, we were kind of complaining that she didn't react to having just witnessed Missy murder two people in front of her. Does she kind of improve upon that in this one? No, not really. I don't yes, she does. Think. does I she? thought that she did as well. Not more because she's been, th- like, her life is now being threatened. Oh, because Missy pushed her down the shaft. She's Which like, was hilarious, by the way. you a point, point with yeah. <laughs> Never mind how many other people have died. <laughs> yeah, chuck a stone and then, down there. And handcuffed her to a thing when a Dalek was coming at her. Like, there's a lot of points where Clara could have died and Missy was completely behind it. Yeah. Jim made the point last week, actually, after the episode, that not only has Clara seen Missy shoot randos in front of her just now, and so she should be outraged about that, but wasn't the whole thing with Danny that it was all set up by Missy? Oh, yeah. 
she killed the love of your life. Killing people in front of you is one thing, but deliberately setting out to manipulate the circumstances so that your soulmate dies. And that power is not there, even in this episode. That's true. She wasn't driving the car, though, was she? Except perhaps in a comic or a story, right? Yeah, canonically she did. Yeah. But it's the it was... far reaches of the canon. And maybe that came afterwards, actually. Maybe the, whatever yeah. that comic was, maybe that came out years later. Yeah, we were talking, we couldn't quite remember if she was or wasn't driving, but there's a line about she specifically chose Clara because she was the only one who would take the doctor to hell with her. She was a perfect mix of controlling and whatever. So it just feels like it was manipulated. Like they knew that Danny had to die in order to get Clara to do what she had to do. So yeah. even if we did see it on screen, we know that that was the point of Missy bringing them all together. Yeah, I guess I would say we saw last week how Clara is a badass and she's got everything under control. She must realize that to have Missy killed off would be the worst thing she could do. It is sad, but it is so worth keeping her around because she will get her to the doctor somehow and that will save the planet and even though she hates her viscerally she's got to suck it up and let the story play out i totally agree but it just feels like we never saw that visceral hate on screen which was a bit of a shame Mm, yeah yeah agree Mm. with both of you Is there also an element there of not wanting to lose your temper in front of Missy? Because Missy is so cool and nonchalant. I mean, how is the character supposed to communicate that, though? She can't have an assigned and be like, oh, that makes me so angry. (laughs) There must be a lot of fear as well, I imagine. Hmm. And I guess you know that everything Missy's doing is to get you to that point. She's trying to break Clara and she's consistently testing her to see if she comes up to speed and she can have the right answers and she can be clever. And so if she's clever enough and fast enough missy will keep her around if she just breaks down into a big pile of blubbering mess then she will just probably kill her and just have done with it so maybe it's a self-preservation thing it's a miracle that clara survived that fall by the way was it 20 feet it's 20 feet onto concrete and or steel oh there is a nice soft cushioning of splatty liquefying dalek down there though True. I met a guy last night who fell nine meters and didn't break a bone in his body, but destroyed his liver. True story. He fell on his liver? I don't really understand how it happened. Hepatic (laughs) puncture. Had he just had so much to drink precipitating the fall that when he got up, his liver was punctured? (laughs) Of my liver's experience. I could take the fall or the drinks, but both be on your own, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're just asking too much of me now. Sorry, Marie, I, I talked over you against my resolution. What were you saying? Oh, no, it's fine. I was just saying, of my limited experience of interacting with this guy, I can believe that that is true. If it's the liver or the bones, then the, yeah, the alcohol one. So nine metres, that is 30 feet. Yeah. So Clara could well have survived. Yeah, and Clara weighs practically nothing. She basically floated down there like a feather. <laughs> She's so smart, she probably just like held out her leather jacket get informed bat wings yeah just parachuted down like a total badass yeah <laughs> yeah that she's all seems really realistic <laughs> yeah it's probably part of the unit kit she's always got a little backpack on that turns into a parachute oh yeah i forgot that she's a secret agent yeah okay you know what another clara thing is there not maybe a slightly missed opportunity here we get clara inside a dalek again mm-hmm. but there's no flashback there's nothing like that doesn't clara at this point 
she went through the process of remembering all these different lifetimes, right? Like, she, she knows... Maybe she doesn't remember all the lifetimes. She's not thousands of years old mentally, intellectually. But she knows that she did all those things. Either way, I feel like there should be something. Some dormant memory should be triggered by her suddenly being encased inside a Dalek shell again. No. I just get a hankering for souffle. <laughs> I, I think it was enough because as soon as she goes into the Dalek, you immediately have this voice of recognition. It's like, oh, wow, we've done this before. This was her first episode. She was in the Dalek. But she wasn't actually in the Dalek. She was like a consciousness... Like, she was never a conscious body trapped inside a shell like she is today. So she was wouldn't... Like, Wasn't she a Dalekified human? Didn't she undergo some horrific surgery to be turned into a Dalek? I'm sure we had a conversation about it. Like, wait, hang on. No, she was never a, quote, pure-blooded Dalek. So was she one of the crew members that crash-landed on the asylum of the Daleks planet and then got Dalekified? Yeah, I think so. She's in the, like, crashed spaceship. That's what the last human memory is, and then she's just kind of reliving that period. There you go. Now, I think that Moffat did better to skirt around all that rather than open this entire can of worms. Yeah. And be like, well, yes, she has been a Dalek, but only in this very specific way. Yeah, it's enough. The mirror ring is there. You can put it together. It doesn't need to be obviously thrown in your face. Yeah. Okay. I think that actually a better callback would have been to Into the Dalek, where Clara, who is recognisably Clara Prime, the Clara we know went into a Dalek last time and she could be recognizing some shit and be like oh it's a much smaller this time <laughs> yeah oh I like that this is a much tighter fit <laughs> you say a much tighter fit okay twice in my notes have I written leg space much no this little Dalek football inside the tank is extracted it's like, it's smaller than a football it's just like bloop, a fistful of gloop but then there's a chair in there that chair that the doctor sits on is not the only other chair on Skoro there is a chair inside every single Dalek <laughs> Which is why Davros has built a chair into them, because what he is, they are. Mm. Yeah, he's just mirrored his chair, so that's why there's a space for a human. But, yeah. but also, that's the second instance of <laughs> leg space march in my notes. When Capaldi, he takes Davros out of the chair, he's just a torso. He's just a ball queen. Yeah. <laughs> But then, did he just, like, scoop out the legs? Like, why Why can all of Capaldi fit inside there? He's a very skinny man. He probably doesn't take up much space. Uh, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think there's a lot of foam padding and possibly some heating system for when Davros's undercrackers get a bit frigid. When so. he gets chilly nuts. Yeah, exactly. Do you think when Davros first made the chair for himself, he had a human... Like, we've seen him as a boy, he has a humanoid form. Did he have legs? Was he a fully grown adult male? And then just over the centuries, his lack of use has just withered away his legs and they eventually just disintegrated. But that still it's doesn't explain form. why there's space for Capaldi's legs in there. It does. Does because he scoop the out his life? withered legs? No, they've disappeared. He's been alive for centuries. So why There's doesn't, no legs why doesn't Davros, the Davros that has been placed on the floor, why doesn't he just sink all the way down into his chair? Why do we not just see him peering over the edge of his chair like a grandmother behind the wheel? Just like, huh? <laughs> I think you'd have to do more than engineer respect into your children to have them take you seriously if that's how you're going around. <laughs> Okay, fine. These are all minor niggles, by the way. You understand. But yeah, okay, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to the big ones, eh? <laughs>
<laughs> well, we'll see. I was too busy being impressed by the control Capaldi had over that chair as he swung into the scene. It was like swinging into a parking space from third gear on a handbrake turn and nailing it. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Loved that whole scene. <laughs> that just starts off a sequence. For me, perfect scenes and perfect cuts between scenes. He says anyone for dodgems, and then they just blast him to the extent that the screen whites out, and you cut to Missy, and she's talking with Clara, and then she just tips Clara into the hole, just as insouciant as you like, and then you cut from that back to the doctor, and he's sipping tea. Yeah, and don't question <laughs> it, because he's the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, conclusion, I'm definitely having his chair. Ah, listen to your little heart's beat. And then you cut from that back up to Clara and Missy, and she says the sewer's a graveyard and then you go back to Capaldi and here's peak Capaldi at 100% and he's going I own the empire after 42 minutes I haven't even got out of my chair so far I'm with you this is all fantastic this is all gold then shortly thereafter we cut back to the sewers and then we get the introduction of the Dalek uh, splooge poop yeah yeah (laughs) which is in my view really quite naff Oh, okay. Did you guys like the Dalek shit? Like, sentient Dalek diarrhea? I like the idea that Daleks will never die. Their bodies will collapse and they just become splooge, but they're still... There's not individual Daleks. They just become one mass, don't they? It just moves as a... It's not like they're reforming bodies when they get regenerated. They're still this spluge gross... In oh, a way, I, I don't like that because that turns them into the Dalek equivalent of the flesh. Yeah. But yeah, like, I didn't mind it when it was the one Dalek in the sewers, and then they kind of go, oh, like, new technology. And like, I can, I don't know, they all kind of go to reclaim what's theirs and try and get the tank back. But I just didn't, when they start going up into the room with all the Daleks and they start just attacking Daleks willy nilly, I don't know, I didn't really. I think yeah. the Dalek diarrhea. Okay, you know what? I no. Oh, oh, I don't know if I agree with you. I agree that of those two scenes, the former is the better. But I, I think overall, mm. this version of the Daleks that are in effect immortal, <laughs> even when you are up to your knees in Dalek diarrhea, it is still sentient. It is still capable of murder, of just continuing on its horrible rampage. Well, I think... No, it only is once it's been energised by Time Lord Regeneration no. Energy, which I think no. you can agree is pretty special. No, because it didn't. That was before, in the very yeah, beginning. Oh, uh, with the single Dalek. Yeah, I think uh. that matches with the Chibber's vision of the Dalek in Resolution, where the Dalek has been divided into different bits, but then somehow, centuries later, it's still alive and it's trying to come together like bits of T-1000 Quicksilver. But it doesn't match up with the rest of Daleks that we have up until Chibbers takes over. It doesn't match up with Daleks to this point, is what you're saying. No, or what? thereafter. Not Did until Chibbers. after this, before Chibbers. We must. Surely we, we must. Or regardless, fine. 50 plus years of Daleks have not been like this. Because how many times yeah. have we seen Daleks get blasted? And that's always been like, oh, it's so easy to defeat a Dalek. You just push it over a cliff or you throw a towel over it or whatever. Or, or you blast it with a laser. But actually, no. Because if you blast it with a laser, it's just going to gloop back together again. Or it's going to attack you while you're on the loo. I don't 
think it's like the T-1000. I think that if you blast it with a laser, it's incinerated and all the cells split apart and everything. I think with this process of just aging to the extreme and liquefaction, I can get behind that and I can almost see how without the Time Lord energy, the sewers can power themselves to take over one Dalek. And then if you add the Time Lord super boost turbo juice, then they can do a lot more than that. Is it like they don't die of natural causes? So it's not like a Dalek can't die. So you shoot a Dalek and it dies. But if these Daleks haven't been in battle, they've been injured in battle, but they haven't been killed, then they just age and wither and their bodies decay. Yeah, this sewer is just like a Dalek care home that they haven't visited for millennia and they never die. And you just take that process to its disgusting extreme. Wow, there's like Swedish levels of elder care. That is dreadful. (laughs) Okay, I can sort of buy that. Fine. I get what you're saying. It's not a brilliant concept, but I think it does the job it needs to. Hmm. What about the Dalek-Time Lord hybrids, then? Because we've now, in the Chibbers era, (laughs) we've all, I think, kind of complained about the Cyberman-Time Lords hybrids, whatever. What were they called? The terrible naming systems. Yeah, can't remember what they were called now. So how do you feel about this? What does the regeneration energy do? Or what would it do? Because we never get a chance to find out. Yeah, because like you say, maybe it regenerates the sludge to come up, but shouldn't it also regenerate the Daleks that are in The Daleks upstairs, they do say, hey, we have been... uh, We are renewed! That's the one, yeah, we are renewed. But they're still inside the same tanks. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Are they cleverer? Well, do they have mercy? Now, there's a thing. I never thought of the potential for the regeneration energy to corrupt the Daleks. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this was the thing that really confused me, because I swear I can picture a Dalek asking for mercy. We have had that in the Big Bang. Yeah. River Song makes a Dalek beg for mercy. She does, yeah. But the Doctor isn't there at the time. He isn't privy to that scene. In fact, I think at that point he's dead. Oh, God. But is that the only time that in Dalek history that they've asked for mercy? I think so, because it seemed super duper familiar to me as well. So I googled Dalek mercy and it was just YouTube clips of River Song. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. We had this conversation. Yeah, okay. One more time. Mercy! (laughs) Sound bite. But yeah, so his whole logic is completely flawed then because Daleks can ask for mercy and it's nothing to do with Clara being in there. He's just never witnessed it. No, no, no. He he has never witnessed it, but for something to be able to come out of a Dalek voice box, it has to have been programmed there by Davros somehow in the arcanery of the machinery. So I think that's what the Doctor's going on. How did this slip through his otherwise watertight programming? I've never heard this. Hmm, there's something afoot here. And that's when he jumps back in time to save little kid Davros to give him mercy so that he's aware of this concept to bring it through and then he Bill and Ted's the whole thing. Yeah, and as he walks away with Davros into the mist, he says, let me tell you about a little thing called mercy as this music from a town called Mercy plays <laughs> over them. <laughs> Okay, in that case, I don't think this is going to be a super meaty subject, but can I return to that pin from the stars? So mm. what, what is a Dalek? Because it seems to me like this episode, it advocates the idea that a Dalek is actually not so much the creature inside the tank. It's just really the tank and the firmware. That's what a Dalek is. Because the second Clara is encased within the tank, 
fine, she self-identifies as a Dalek on the outside. She seems to self-identify as a Dalek. But she's also firing lasers. The thing inside can think anything it likes. The thing <laughs> outside will still act the way that we expect a Dalek to act. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, the tank will manipulate it so much that it just needs a conscious being and there it could be anything. Exactly. And you will just effectively be a Dalek. Yeah. yeah, if a Dalek comes up to someone and says, inside the tank, friend, yeah. <laughs> then it will say, enemy, and suddenly be in a firefight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like anything that is inside of that tank will attempt to take over the universe. And it was basically, Missy said, I think emotions make it fire. So yeah. to be like a good dog, like you have to dampen down all your emotions. Otherwise, you're just firing willy nilly at everyone. You're panicking because you're trapped in this tank and you're just killing anyone that could potentially help you out of it. Yeah, yeah that is genius thinking from Davros. It's a very good fail safe system. Exactly. I think. To assign the bulk of the evil to Davros rather than the Daleks. I mean, if we were to think back over many Davros-less Dalek serials, it would perhaps complicate things. But intuitively, something makes me think that as the creator, he has to bear the bulk of the responsibility. But does it make you think that in previous encounters we've had with Daleks, there might be like a good Dalek trapped inside screaming, help me, help me. And at the same time, all we're hearing is exterminate. Well, we have and the Dalek... You don't know good and bad Daleks exist. Well, we have the Dalek in Into the Dalek. And what does he say? I don't know what he says, but I mean, he, he's emotionally manipulated by the Doctor into becoming capable of empathy. Yeah. And then starts attacking other Daleks. Is this the same Dalek that goes, I see beauty and all that stuff? Yeah, I think so. So where's that in his vocabulary? That's not been programmed in, surely. Ah, but the Doctor is inside the Dalek, hooked directly into it at that point. So there's no translational he's interface. Hooked he's not hooked up to it, is he? Yeah, that's when he's uh, mind melding with the Dalek. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're right, he does, yeah. And he shows, like, oh, look, look at sunrises and oh, pretty stars. Ooh, call back. Oh, sunrise, yeah, you're right. Mm. <laughs> I take it back, this is ingenious. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, by the way, just to put a little midpoint in the review here, yeah, I think you guys have already successfully talked me up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, or at least you're not feeling as tired and fatigued as before. Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. two cans of Tesco Blue Spark into it. <laughs> oh, I like the inclusion of the colour. Not Red Bull, it's blue. It's, it's Blue different. Spark. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Tastes exactly the same, costs a third of it. Probably ages your brain a little bit more as well. <laughs> Is it actually blue when you pour it out? No, it, it looks exactly like a uh, Red Bull. It's oh. a straight-up copy. Oh. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you raise... Thinking back to previous Daleks, we had a Dalek in Dalek. That Dalek opened up, didn't it, at the end of the episode? Yeah. In Dalek, actually, it saw the sunlight right at the end. Rose opened the the hatch, the door, and it saw sunlight and died then. Mm. So there's an echo. Ah, but an echo is not an argument, so... So it's not like they live underground. It's not like they don't see sunlight a lot. Like it shouldn't be this effective in bringing the good out. But it saw it with its own eye. Apparently, that's really important. Uh, Yeah, not the stalk. I did like the photonic density. I did like that the whole thing was a ploy because, again, going back to last week, my argument against why Davros was, I see Leon's like tearing his hair out at me. I'm going to carry on. (laughs) 
Last week, it really, I will. It stressed me out that Davros was not a threat and the doctor's like, oh no, you're terrifying, but he's just this decrepit dying body in a can and, and he wasn't scary at all. To me, at least. And then this week, we kind of moved away from that. that He wasn't a scary figure. They were empathizing with each other. The doctor felt really sorry for him. It was going to give him his last dying wish. And then it turned out to be a trick. I was like, ah, okay. So he's still managing to play him, even though he doesn't have any physical presence anymore. He can't hurt him in the way that he used to. He's still a threat to him. And I liked that. Well, I would like to add that I thought that was utter crap. (laughs) I did. Wait. The whole way through, I was thinking, why is the Doctor being so thick? Obviously, it's a trap. Obviously, he's playing you. As soon as he was like, oh, just let me see this one last sunlight through my real eyes. You know that he's going to have something up his sleeve. But the then... natural assumption is to go, well, yeah, the Doctor's going to go and siphon off some of his regeneration energy and not just walk up to him and, like, pull his eyelids <laughs> open. Let's <laughs> show some I respect, Leon. He's some bedside manner. <laughs> <laughs> I did fully expect him to try and to do Me this. Me too. <laughs> Me too. It's like, oh, I, I hope you don't mind if I... Do you mind if I do the thing and just... Like, pry open those eyes that for some reason are still moist after millennia and not just little (laughs) (laughs) dusty dry balls (laughs) no no they should be if anything more moist he should have four thousand years of sleeps on the outside just crusted (laughs) over like like a trail of them down his cheek dripping like a stalactite off his chin But, oh. but inside, they should be swimming pristine. With, the, with the fluid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. The, those are the most pristine eyes in all of creation. They've <laughs> never been used. They have barely been opened since that day on the battlefield. That's what I liked about him opening his eyes, was those were the eyes of the little boy. Right. Yeah. We've just seen for the first time Davros's real eyes, and now we're seeing them again in this old man, and we're being invited to reappraise Davros and perhaps thereby to be swindled by him in the same way as the Doctor. I thought that was really nice. And then there's the mirroring between... So, yeah, the little boy definitely humanizes him and you start to see Davros as a man rather than a machine. And then there's the line about, is he a good man? Which we've had the Doctor say quite a lot recently. And you see these two wizened old foes identifying with each other and seeing that they're actually asking the same questions. But I I really don't feel that that's... This is not the rapport that I would have expected the Doctor having with Davros. This is actually possibly the rapport that I would expect the Doctor having with the Master if their Mm. timelines through some weird time pretzel, the Doctor met the Master at the very, very end, just as the Master is about to die. That I can buy. That's like, oh, you know what, actually... I respect you and we have more in common and you never know. Maybe under different circumstances we would have been buddies. But here it's like, oh, right. Okay, so you go to an old folks home and you hang out with Hitler and... He's like, oh, I, I haven't really like to see the sunrise. It's like, all right, you know what? Let me just give you a little bit of my life. No, no that, <laughs> this is not what's going to happen. Those two have never bonded. That's but I, do, I think it only works because we've seen the little child Davros and you see this youthful, innocent, pure boy who's just frightened and needs help and he's been completely abandoned. 
And so the doctor is feeling guilty because he effectively thinks that he created Davros by not helping him when he could have done. So it's that guilt that he's now carrying with him that makes him help him in the end. Okay. Yeah, and that Davros is explicitly oh. banking on being the doctor's weakness at this point. He talks about the doctor being full of shame and that interacting with his compassion to make a vulnerability. Can I just say about the master comparison? I don't think the Doctor can relate to the Master as well because the Master has stared into the untempered schism and that sent the Master mad in a way that no one else can truly comprehend. I mean, that schism is called untempered for a reason. It's pretty hard to wrap your head around. This dude has murdered billions and billions across space and time. This dude is so insanely evil, so cartoonishly evil... You wouldn't do this. The Doctor would absolutely not do this. And I'm going to add a few more things here. Davros, Dave would not do it this way. He wouldn't go, hmm, I've got this fantastic plan. Where I'm gonna... I don't know why Dave talks like that. Dave wouldn't go like, oh, you know what? I'm going to really target his heartstrings and get him to give me some of his regeneration energy so that I can then funnel that into the Daleks and into myself. No, he even says himself, I thought I would need to tie you up or... Tear you ha- apart. Tear you apart. And I mean, he has Colony mm-hmm. Soft there as well. He would go straight for that. The second the Doctor has let down his guard, he would do that instead. There would really, be some sci-fi gizmo. Really, he would try to trick the Doctor? You don't think that if the Doctor did your gambit of, ah, let me just prop your eyes open with my fingers, at that point, Davros would go, you know what, this isn't working. Colony Saf, they do the tearing apart thing, and you get what you like. I feel like there would be a sci-fi gizmo, rather than Colony Saf, there would be a sci-fi gizmo that holds him down, or whatever. There would be something else. There wouldn't be the cartoonish, (laughs) the sort of Hanna-Barbera plot or ploy of, yeah, I'm going to target your heartstrings. That is more akin to the master. That's the kind of ridiculous theatricality that the master might employ. Davros would just go straight for violence and murder. But he's done that many, many times before, and it hasn't worked. So can he not try something a bit different? But he doesn't... When Colony Soft takes him in the throne room... Okay, seriously. What? Yeah, Colony Soft <laughs> holds him down in the chair, in the Dalek Supremes, yeah, yeah. whatever, little ballroom. He is, at that point, incapacitated. Why even wait? Why fetch a chair? Let him wake up, do this whole thing. Why not, at that point, pull plug him into the machine. I think because there's more possibility to... Well, is there more possibility to milk him? I I was getting vampire vibes, right? The doctor said, even at one point, you're vampiring off your creations to eke out a little bit more life. And he said it in this weird cockney way. I don't know why. (laughs) It reminded me of vampires having to be invited in across the threshold. And for some reason, that was in play. And so to have the doctor hooked up alive not in a state of unconsciousness. For some reason, does that mean that you can extract the full power out of him, whereas if he's incapacitated, you can't get all the juice? I don't think so. I think all you do is you hook him up to those wires and then you blast him so that he is forced into a regeneration and then you funnel that energy into your millions of kids. But if he (laughs) actually regenerates, then that's going to blow up your machinery. That blows up pretty much everything, including most of the in a decor of a TARDIS. But but Dave definitely takes more regeneration energy than Doc was originally planning, or, well, allegedly planning to give. Definitely, definitely. But I think that were he 
Peter abused the doctor to the point at which the process was run away, in which he would start regenerating, then it would stop going into the machine. You only get so much, and then everything would be blown apart. He can hold the doctor in this stasis and just milk him, just keep beating him, and he can't start turning into another doctor. He has got him in the exact right place. I think that's nonsense, and counter, 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 if the doctor had originally foreseen this whole thing, and he's just there like, oh yeah, I'm gonna jack myself off into your system, why would he even do that? If his gambit is to funnel regeneration energy into the Dalek diarrhea, why not just do that? If that's his big plan, which, by the way, crap plan in many ways, why not just siphon some energy into the sewers? A, not good telly. B, what if Davros has changed? The chances are microscopic. They are minute. As you say, I'm not disputing in any way that Davros is space Hitler. He is the ultimate evil. Fuck Nazis now and forever, right? But at some point, Davros changed from being a sweet, innocent little cherub into a guy who killed billions and billions. He wasn't born evil. He bears responsibility for his crimes, definitely. There was some initiating experience, some tipping point, some factor that the Doctor currently believes he is at least partially implicated in. And I think it's good to problematize that in a way, in no way ever to forgive Hitler or say that anything he did was justifiable, but to look into what turns a human utterly inhuman, what turns this boy into fucking Davros. And it's worth thinking about. I don't know if I completely forgot what my original point was, but I thought that it was worth Moffat setting it up in this way. What do you think? Marie, what do you think? I feel like we've been (laughs) hogging the mics over here. Yeah, a little bit. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I had points, but they've long passed. So just you can't. You've got to make notes when we start going off. (laughs) (laughs) It's not your fault. It's all our fault. It's absolutely our fault. Okay, question for both of you. Question for you, Marie. Is there some fixed point in time excuse or is there some other reason perhaps why the Doctor doesn't tempt to do more to reform young Davros than to add the word mercy into his vocabulary? When he goes back, I feel like, hey, uh, I'm going to take this kid's hand and lead him through the hand minefield. Does he just go, so, right, here's what the word mercy means. You got that? You remember? Okay, I'm going to, here's a flashcard. What is this? Mercy. Great. Okay, see ya. Why doesn't he just go, let me talk to you about ethics? I guess what <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess what we learned from that is what was implied last week was that it was the doctor's act of not showing him mercy, of saying, you're going to become evil, therefore I'm going to leave you to die, and I'm, I'm not going to give you a chance to change. We were sort of told that that then created Davros, and so the doc going back in time to change that point I don't know, maybe the kid will then not turn out to be evil. But he does. The outcome is the same in both ways. So the Doctor doesn't have any impact. Davros is Davros and will always be. And that point wasn't as crucial as we first thought it was, maybe. So is it just to avoid a paradox that the Doctor doesn't do more when he visits him again? When he goes and saves him in the minefield? Well, what more could you do? Well, no, I mean, but that's sort of my point. I think there's probably lots that you can do. Show this kid that there's hope in the world and, and I don't know, like, show him a sunrise. <laughs> Give him a flower and teach him a song and, I don't know, like, bring peace to Scarrow. 
Go back in time, yeah. bring peace between the Khaleds and the Thal, and he'll be like, oh, you know what? War is a bad thing. I don't want to wage war. War is terrible. And then he grows up to be a really happy dandy gent. <laughs> what you could do, rather than leave, what he did was take the easy way out and leave him assuming that he would die, and then presumably didn't, if he went back and actually killed him. There's a twist. Uh. Genuinely also a possibility. But that yeah, would and then the be... twist would be, as we said last week, not the right Davros. Different yes, Davros. Exactly. Different <laughs> yeah, he's come back in time to show him the sunset and the flowers and all of this stuff, and he's just this rando kid that doesn't turn out to anything. And... Yeah, and then yeah, cut yeah, to end of credit scene, or like later on in the future when actual Dave goes like, oh yeah, and this Sonic, I stole it off some other kid named Dave. What an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah. Didn't even have to change the name that was written on it. Bonus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Marie, you're advocating that the Doctor go back in time and murder a completely innocent Davros. You are a monster. <gasps> I didn't say advocating. <laughs> if you want to impact change, you don't... Nobody ever talks about going back in time and showing Hitler a sunrise, do they? <laughs> he just tried to paint it. <laughs> do a really bad job and think, you know what? Well, actually, I'm not going to get into Hitler's story. Fuck Hitler. <laughs> I think your fixed point question can be answered, Leon, by however much effort the doctor put in, however intensive his ethics tutorials, even if he cheedy anagonied the fuck out of Davros. <laughs> yeah then his subsequent wartime experiences would whittle everything away, like Missy with a stick, down to that first mention of mercy, and everything else unfortunately fell by the wayside. No matter how hard the Doctor tried, time just wibbly-wobbled back into place. Yeah, or potentially, he goes there, he ends the war, he turns him into a good person. as in he turns and they held a second referendum. <laughs> Fucking idiots! <laughs> But because Dave is now a good person, Doc doesn't have an impetus to go back in time and make him a good person, and consequently he grows up to be a bastard. Mm. Oh, that's clever. <laughs> oh, you've got me... Oh, wow, that's like a... I've stumped myself. Yeah. Is it a Mobius theory? theory. Oh, well, it's definitely a paradox, and maybe that is it. Yeah. Mm. It's nice. I like that. There's that audiobook number five. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying, let's do a Davros. <laughs> <laughs> But no, that would absolutely fit. And again, that's what really bummed me out at the end of the last episode was just this picture of the doc going, I'm going to go and fix all this. I'm going to go back in time and save my friend. And yeah, you can't. You're making a paradox. Like That's what this show's all based upon. And if anything, does he not really ingrain the word exterminate in Dave's vocabulary at that point? <laughs> I'm going to save my friend. Exterminate! And Dave's like, in the back of his mind thinking, like, oh, I met this really cool guy who shouted exterminate at once. I might do something with that. Yeah, yeah. in honour of him, in tribute to the guy who saved my life, I'm going to have all my tank children yell exactly what he yelled at me. <laughs> this one's for you, Doctor. <laughs> the friend line. What does he mean by that? Who is his friend? We wondered this last time. Can he possibly mean Davros? Or does he mean Missy? And is Missy's idea at the end of this episode to ask the Daleks for mercy? And is that how she survives? Wait, what? Oh, you mean the confession dial, which is intended for his friend? No, I mean, at the end, the Doctor says to Davros on the battlefield, I'm going to save my friend. Oh, I see. Now, because Missy and the Doctor have this wacko friendship that transcends good, bad, friend-enemy, mercy is the only sort of thing that links them, even though the Doctor tried to kill her in death in heaven. Um... <laughs> 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 is he 
saying that Davros too, in a weird, fucked up Time Lord way, could be his friend because of all the shit they've mutually been through? Or is he saying that by giving you the concept of mercy, this is going to save Missy as she's just walked off to her certain doom? I think it's Clara. Yeah, I don't think it's to save Missy. I think it's the, the only thing that saved, that stopped the Doctor from shooting the Dalek that was Clara was the fact that she asked for mercy. So he had to go back in time and implant the ability to ask for mercy into the Daleks so that Clara in the future could ask for mercy. That's why it doesn't really, it's a bit of a Bill and Ted moment. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Right, that makes total sense. You've explained it, thank you. Okay. (laughs) So who's the witch's familiar? Oh. (laughs) Isn't that Clara? Isn't she the magician's apprentice and the witch's familiar just at the same time? So is is the doctor is the witch? No, Missy is is the witch. Yeah. Okay. Doctor's a magician. Missy's a witch. I thought the doctor was the witch's familiar. Oh, I kind of right. like it more if it's Clara, actually, okay. for both of them. Because then it does fit that it's all about Clara, this whole... That's true. ...being about saving Clara. Yeah. She's his friend, as we've discussed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, good. Me too. Can I ask you about something really dreadful? Oh, dear. <laughs> so say you. If you have to. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally on board for this episode at this point. Sonic sunglasses. Ah. What you got against the Sonic Ray-Bans, dude? Oh, really? Oh, come on, Marie. You're on my side on this one, right? You know what? I hated them the first time around with a passion. And every time we brought them out, I was like, ugh. It's just like, old oh, man, trying to be cool. <laughs> but I don't know. I kind of liked it in this episode. I think yeah, it's great in to... this episode, but knowing that they will be a recurring feature on the show for a long time to come, ugh, that really bugs me. See, I think there are two things in their favor. One has become apparent over the intervening period because at the time, Google Glasses were failing massively and they were being roundly mocked and wearable tech was a fad and it seemed like a stupid faddish thing for the Doctor to be doing. So for all that to be happening at the same time, penalised the episode then, not so much of a problem now. And I made a note that aren't they actually a really good idea because now Michael Ridgway and other fans beyond number will never again be able to scream with frustration, it's just a screwdriver! You can sidestep that whole controversy by having these instead. It's just a pair of Ray-Bans. Yeah, but the pair of Ray-Bans, their capabilities and powers haven't been delineated and then stretched and overreached for 40 years at this point. So we can go somewhere with them rather than the same tired kvetching good word maybe just my memory of the sonic ray-bans to come tarnishes the experience in this episode a little bit i agree i thought it was a nice reveal here if Mm. i hadn't known that they would return i'd be like oh cool see there is a sonic presence he does have an ace up his sleeve that's pretty rad but in a way shouldn't he now be ready to have a sonic screwdriver again why isn't that part like that would be a nice arc in a way at the start of part one he's like oh no i don't travel with the sonic anymore i don't need it and then at the end he's like actually but it's part of who i am i really i, I like this gizmo i'll just try to use it a little less in brackets chibbers <laughs> <laughs> now this is just your resistance to change coming out dude You're like, at the end of the episode everything has to be reset to exactly the way it was davros we can't have any change in his personality and the doctor he's gonna have the same accessories or i don't know where i am when you put it like that 
<laughs> I also think it would be super unfair for you to take points off this particular episode because of what you can remember in the future I about agree. not liking us. So. Yep, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I am fully prepared to shit on them from next week on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But today, I love them. They're really cool. Yeah, and I think that was part of it, wasn't it? They came back week after week after week. Like, they really hammered it home. This is what we're doing now. And eventually, an antipathy, a resistance just grew up in us. Like, stop beating us over the head with these fucking sunglasses. Yeah, agreed. Oh, oh, oh. This is a complete side note. But do you remember I called a Dalek bucolic and primitive last week and I couldn't figure out which it was? <laughs> it was the special weapons Dalek. Oh, right. What other uh, people saw as a uh, tin-hatted tank, I saw as this farmer with a straw boater carrying <laughs> some farming implements somehow. I am looking forward to seeing that Dalek in action. Up against the seventh Doctor. Correctamundo. Mm. Oh, 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 I've got a thing. Oh, 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 let's hear it. Pretty much the first thing Davros says in this episode. Well, there's two things. One, he explains how it took him so long to remember Doc, which was a problem we had last week. And he says, you were at the gateway of my memory. Like, as far back as he can remember, we don't know how the Thals or the Khaleds or whatever the fuck Davros is, how their neuroplasticity works. So, sure, let that be a thing. And then right after that, he says, this time I have you at my mercy. And he says that right at the beginning. The key to this entire episode is there, right at the get-go. I hadn't noticed that. That is very nice. Mm-mm. It's Moffat just rubbing jam under his arms, like, oh, yeah, whilst knitting. <laughs> <laughs> knitting all the string together. Exactly. Into a sticky jumper. <laughs> Ask how it got sticky. It was the jam. It was the jam. Of course. And then the doctor cries, Get out! But he's not talking about Davros leaving the infirmary. You think he is, but he's just talking about getting out of his chair. And that sets up the whole next oh, sequence. Yeah, it's which is lovely. And I agree. I, I 100% agree that sequence is fantastic. It's bloody marvelous. Hooray! <laughs> I'm just getting around to the point of saying half of my notes for this episode end in exclamation points. Look what they're doing here! It looks like this, <laughs> but it's also this other thing! <laughs> he really put a lot of effort into this one. As a double feature, this is quite astonishingly good. Just feel that there are a few shortcomings to part two. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers, I'm not giving this a 5.0 after all. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> the weight will go on. <laughs> I have faith in you, Drew. I thought you were going to hold firm. <laughs> now, now, the only one that will get a 5.0 is one that Leon and I eventually write once we've learned every <laughs> lesson of what not to do. <laughs> I'm all back on the slapstick, dude. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, wow, you're back. faith in yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have to have faith, because if you don't set out starting to win, then you're going to lose. True. Very, yeah. very In the immortal words of George Michael, <laughs> you got to have faith. <laughs> I just found another note from a scene that we either just discussed or discussed a moment ago. Dave gives Doc the chance to grab a pair of cables and thereby ending all of Dalek kinds. Very similar. Again, paralleling that scene in Genesis of the Daleks with Tom Baker holding the two cables. Yeah. Oh. Yes. That was the thing that really stuck with me is that there was never really any motivation. Why did Davros want to kill all of Dalek kind? Yes. 
thank you. Like, come on, Drew. But he was dying, and he and he wanted them all to go with him. I like, I don't know. It just kind of came out of nowhere, and the doctors ran with it. Obviously, he wants to kill Dalek kind, but I just didn't understand where it came from. Okay, in a weird way, I think either way, Davros wins because he says at I think it is before this when the doctor is playing dodgems, Davros comes over the intercom and says, "The search for conquest. It is gratifying to see you learn." So he is hoping that the Doctor is becoming more like him over time. And if that is happening, then the Doctor will cross the cables and Davros will essentially have recreated himself in Time Lord form. And the galaxy, that the universe will descend into a new kind of chaos. That is very much what I thought was going to... Oh, sorry, Marie, go, sorry. Will, Will crossing the cables actually destroy all the Daleks? No, I don't think so. I think maybe that's all it took. Hold on to these cables, boom, Soph grabs a hold of Doc's arms and then they... So that, so that was his first attempt to, like, trick the Doctor into... Maybe, but that's not what he says. Oh. He says... I mean, that I would assume so, but that's not what he says. He tells the Doctor to commit genocide and become a god. Yeah, that isn't yeah, but the it definition could be, of a god, a god, by the way, but sure. No, but that is no, what he yeah. says. That is what he says, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what god. the devil would say. Is he becoming a god to, because he's giving new life to all the Daleks? Like, he's, like yeah, you're right, Drew. Gods don't commit genocide, do they? I don't know much about gods. But <laughs> they bring life. Like, he's tricking him into giving new life to the Daleks. And therefore oh, oh, Marie, that's so clever. I think that's <laughs> cleverer than Moffat ever realised. Excellent okay. <laughs> retro rewrite, Marie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's having the power over life and death, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's also a, yet another Palpatine parallel. You know, come over to the dark side, kill your father and, or like, take yeah. your father's place beside me. This is sort of like, kill me and take my place beside my my children or whatever. <laughs> my, my corpse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sit down and my, take my throne. My decaying <laughs> ball of slush. <laughs> Just s- scoop up my little legs. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to need him anyway. <laughs> to take the last scene forward, I thought that the Doctor saying he's just a bloke in a box, that was as far as he got with the Cybermen in the double feature that ended the last series. And I was so annoyed that that was where Moffat left it. But this takes it on a bit further. On a good day, if he tries very hard, he can be the Doctor. And he can be a bit more than the guy who runs away. And he also is willing to almost dis- reject the title of Doctor. I mean, he's, he doesn't just say, I'm a dude in a box. He says, like, I am not the Doctor. I am just a dude in a box. It's almost mm. as though he is war-doctoring himself without the Sisterhood of Khan juice. Mm, yes. Well, it's all part of his rich experience now, isn't it? He's, he's gained multiple perspectives over the course of his 2,000 years. Yeah. So where are we with the confession dial then? Doc thinks he's going to die, so he's written his will. Does he no longer think he's going to die? Or did he write his will just because he was stepping into the lion's den? That's a, Yeah, that's the thing I did write down, actually, is, yeah, the confession dial, I don't feel like anything we've seen over the last two episodes makes you feel like the Doctor would have given up. Like, this is what they discussed at the beginning of the episode, is he goes into every conflict thinking he will win. What was different about this one that he didn't think he'd come out of it alive? Yeah. I don't think we've seen anything. Ah, but he didn't know that Davros had a scintilla of mercy in him, so he thought that 
once he was sat in the chair and he he'd said his last zinger that when colony soft snakes came up around him that he was just going to find himself ripped apart hooked into a machine like leon said he would be and that would be the end of that then why would he go in there why would he go there there's like the most easily avoidable death and and why is he then at the end going oh it was my plan all along i knew what you were up to that's right take that drew (laughs) (laughs) you tell him marie Okay, let yeah, me retreat it, to the... Sorry, I don't feel like at any point we are looking at a broken man who has been defeated, who is who is looking at his last day on Earth. Because it's like the it's the 24 hours before your death, isn't it, that you your confession out comes out. There has been no point that it felt like he was that close to dying. And like knowingly... Maybe just saw one of those infomercials. Like, oh, it's good to be prepared, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you never know what's coming around the corner. Just every every week he's going to have a new confession dial now. <laughs> yeah. oh, just rewriting it with a new date at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you, that, that doesn't you think he together. wrote it? Did he write it the 24 hours before? Or is it something that he's had in his back pocket for years and you just... And he just released it at the last second. But but he released it to Missy, and he doesn't leave it with Missy. He has it back at the end of the episode. Yeah. So no, there is. Oh, that's laid bare the the uh, artificial MacGuffin nature of it. Mm. There's a thing. I can't argue with that. <laughs> episode would have been better without that like it gives you a lot of drama when it's first introduced but then it just never comes to anything yeah or send it off with missy and then we know that the next time the doctor meets missy maybe that's when it's going to happen or you at least know that she'll be there when he eventually dies yeah in that double feature when doc spends a million years punching a diamond wall five billion years five billion (laughs) years does that happen inside the confession dial i feel like he goes into something yeah i think it is that's not how wills work (laughs) not how human wills work I do like the concept of a confession dial. Yeah, me, yeah, just... me too. I mean, I, I like the concept of there being a will that works differently. I think I would like it if it was kind of like slightly independent of the doctor. So he's created his will. It's going to be opened at the oh. moment of his death. Then time changes and he's no longer about to die. Maybe it just either it just, you know, disintegrates or it changes forms or something. So it's, so there's like know... Time Lord tech that knows when he's going to die. So it shows exactly. up. Is it is that a little Trenzalory though it's like the the second it shows up he's like oh shit i guess this means i'm gonna die within 24 hours yeah but otherwise how would you know like like why would you ever write a confession dial if you who knows that they're gonna die in the next 24 hours i I think that is the second excellent retro rewrite that you've presented in this review (laughs) it should not be made by the doctor it should be something else entirely yeah and then it would have more weight because then he would see it and be terrified and go holy fuck i've only got a day to get my affairs in order. Yeah. Yeah, they can they can invent something akin to the moment. The ancients of Gallifrey can come up with this thing and it just pops in to the universe like a little pocket watch cloister bell and alert the doctor and and if he gets out of the well that's the thing if he gets out of the squeeze then once it comes up again you're going to be like ah you know what he managed to uh, send it packing last time there's no peril this time but but if you write your own confession diet I can just imagine some like really paranoid time lords just every time they go out to the shops just like writing their confession diet and be like it could be the last (laughs) time I see you (laughs) well I mean this year that's never been more likely 
<laughs> but like that. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. was like, oh, God, it's them again. Like, That's just Time Lords using their great British common sense. <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere that Moffat's motivation for writing this episode was he loved previous scenes between the Doctor and Davros, but they hadn't been very long. They hadn't constituted very large proportions of an episode. He'd always wanted more. So he wrote this to give them space to really breathe and have an expansive dialogue together so and and part of the reason why i love this episode is is precisely for that reason you get them head to head mano a mano for like two-thirds of the running time and i love it and that is what i want it's part of my christian makeup i want to see the big good against the big bad good versus evil that's what i like did you think they did that well yeah absolutely i really yeah i really liked them taking the time to like explore each other properly and see each other as equals rather than just you're the bad guy you're the enemy there was a lot more sort of parallels drawn between them personally and it's nice to see like shades of grey within a foe I think. How many of those shades would you say there were? At least 50. (laughs) That is the most evil number. (laughs) But no, I thought that the scenes they had together worked incredibly well and although there was a a lot of it throughout the episode it didn't seem to drag. They did do a nice job of cutting between these very slow-paced dialogue heavy scenes and then flip to Missy and Clara like falling down a pit and shooting at a Dalek and and, like there was the like fast and slow the pacing was really nicely done yeah that is why you have the slapstick interleaving with it isn't it yeah exactly break the tension you need that slapstick leon (laughs) i was with you until you started praising the slapstick (laughs) (laughs) but i agree that this is a good foundation for a fantastic future good guy bad guy relationship it it would have been great to have had more of this in the past sorry why why future why not now no as in it also now but i mean this is this is almost like a a reimagining of their relationship in my mind i don't know if i mean we get a bunch of dave post well certainly post where we are right now in classic who with who back when that i Mm. haven't seen that i'm unaware of so maybe they do have that kind of relationship but in the episodes that i've seen to date they've not he's just been this relatively uninteresting palpatine figure and so i'm glad that they have now established this rapport so that we can have it going forward i'm glad that we get it here but it does feel like they're they're establishing the rapport and they're playing pretend that we've had this rapport on screen for 50 years in order to substantiate the the gravitas of the finale and that's why it feels a little like it feels rushed in a way it feels like no what no this isn't the guy that you know you wouldn't sympathize with him you wouldn't have this relationship i think they make some allowance for the reality of what's gone before though when they when davros says we've tried the genocidal killing billions thing this encounter between us is something different the conventional means of communication which is a line that i just love by the way (laughs) haven't worked so let's do this now so I, I don't think it's completely unaware of Davros's thinness in, at times before. And it's also bec- because they have the scenes with the little kid. Like it's not it's not just we've only had adult like homicidal Davros who is pure evil, and now suddenly we've got old man Davros who is um, a little bit softer. Like the Doctor has had a very recent interaction with him as a child, and we've seen him as a human, and therefore maybe how the Doctor interacts with him changes and does that change then Davros's 
behavior to him like if you see someone as pure evil then they're only ever going to be evil like project evil back to you but if you treat someone uh, you know as a yeah because there was a line about that like davros had only just kind of put it together he didn't have these memories before so maybe that explains it as well a little bit oh i'm trying to un bill and ted this in my head <laughs> good luck <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unfurl this pretzel and turn it into a baguette. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm not entirely sure that's how the timeline works, but okay. Yeah, right. There was one thing I realised as we had this little discussion about Davros. We haven't talked about the actor playing Davros oh, yeah. at all. Because he is 100% perfect as Davros. Mm, right? He's yeah. very good, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he is inhabiting that role so fully that we never once thought to start to unpick it in any way. Like, every choice he made... I don't know, it was just so natural and, and it's such a weird role to be playing and it has precursors in Classic Who that he has to be living up to and people will be scrutinising him especially as he does something different with the role and we're saying is this unrealistic what Davros is doing, not the actor is in some way failing, he is fucking nailing it every single moment right? Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely Who is he by the way? I don't even know <laughs> I'm going to look him up. I didn't even know. I had the same thought watching it, actually. And I very rarely do. Like, I'm normally not. You guys are always like, oh, such and so played this role and da da da. And looking up all the actors. And I never do. I'm just kind of like in the show. Um, And this is one of the few times I've kind of stepped out of it and gone, he is playing a fucking awesome role. <laughs> like, he is hey. doing such a good job at being Davros. I had that exact thought. Bravo. Kudos to yeah. you. you and are. where else has he been acting excellently, perhaps? So his name is Julian Bleach. Okay. Great name. He was a ballet instructor in Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> Didn't oh, see that one I coming. Thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to say he was a ballet instructor. <laughs> <laughs> Making notable use of his legs. <laughs> yeah. He like he's, is... got, he's got the most beautiful legs and we never get to see them. They just take them out in post. <laughs> Last year, he played Dracula in yet another Dracula TV series. I can see him playing a very good Dracula. Yeah, same here. I mean, we've discussed how vampiric Davros is in this one. He talks about draining the blood of Gallifrey and the Doctor opening his veins. He's all vampire. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, he was in an episode of Torchwood and in two episodes of the Sarah Jane Adventures. But not as Davros. No, he played the Nightmare Man in the eponymous double feature of the Sarah Jane Adventures and the Ghost Maker in an episode of Torchwood. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, okay. He's got a type. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He played Machiavelli in The Borgias. Oh, he has a definite type. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Glancing at his uh, IMDb page, no entry is like, you know, in uh, 2012, he played good guy Happy Face. It's like, oh, no, th this <laughs> this guy's definitely, yeah, crematorium technician too. Uh, <laughs> oh. oh, that was a shame because the picture I was getting of him was that he actually was a master criminal in real life. And when an iconic supervillain role came up for grabs, he was like, you know, I can bring some of my life experience to that and do that as my side job when I'm not perpetrating horrendous atrocities somewhere across the world <laughs> as the eminence grease behind any number of disturbing movements and social trends. But crematorium technician number two, I wish you hadn't said that. Yeah, sorry. Oh, I'll, I'm going to cut that bit out. <laughs> I mean, he has played Davros in other episodes as well. So he he was Davros in Journey's End and the Stolen Earth. That makes sense because Davros in that was excellent as well. Also, yeah. yeah. 
He played Davros in the Lego Dimensions video game. Okay. And in uh, Doctor Who at the Proms. How old is Julian Bleach? Oh, that's an excellent question. He is almost <laughs> as old as Doctor Who. He was born in 1963. Okay, so he is not too old to play Davros again this Christmas. Bingo! Yes. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a thing... There was a point, right, and I'm asking whether you felt this too, at which I was certain Davros was going to reveal his evil plan and turn, which is when, it's just before the joke, when the doctor doctor says something and Davros says, then we have established one thing only. And the doctor says, what? And then instead of that you are a fool and you have fallen into my trap and blah, blah, blah. He makes the joke about you're not a very good doctor. And they end up laughing and crying together. And I did not see that coming. Yeah, and yeah. it almost Zing, made me Davros. forgive the joke. <laughs> no, I don't give him enough credit there. Yeah, uh, agreed. I don't know if I had the same theory, but that would have been a good place for it. That's probably some misdirection from the moth. Oh, was I the only one who, who thought that? You didn't think it either, Marie. What? That's when he was going to reveal his plan. Yeah. Like, uh, I've had enough of this pretense. My full mag- majestic villainy must burst forth. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think I'm on the same page as you, Drew. Yeah. And I like yeah. that they, they took it one step further. I, I, uh, I, wasn't, I was never fully hoodwinked, but I liked the lengths to which they went. Actually, no, wait. There is a point at which the at which Davros says to Colony Sarf, we're going to entrap a Time Lord. Mm. Way early in the episode. Why have that in? Because that gives the game away. Mm. It does, but to be fair, I it didn't for me. <laughs> Maybe I'm just but too there, dim. Well, I mean, there are people potentially watching this for the first time. This is a series opener. And, okay, we've established that it isn't one that's suitable for newbies, perhaps. But there would be people who would be thinking, oh, maybe this guy, maybe there, there are three dimensions to him. I don't know about him historically. And the peril... The uncertainty, the ambiguity is just taken away by him giving Colony Sarf that order. Why is that there? It bugs me. Hmm. So, Leon, you say it didn't, it didn't fool you, like you didn't think that Davros was going to... No, as in I didn't pick up that line. The When he goes, we're going to entrap a Time Lord, I didn't have the forethought to go, oh, wait, that, that means that the next scene is going to be this kind of... You know, that's his but you, knew, but you knew it was a trick. Yeah, I didn't know what I didn't remember what kind of trick it was. I knew that there would be uh, some don't... trickery. I was sure yeah. that Davros wasn't a good guy all of a sudden or reformed. Yeah, I don't mean remember. I mean, like, I feel like it was quite obvious the whole time that it was going to be a trap. Yeah, like, but I don't think it was a surprise. The twist was that the doctor knew it, that it was a trap. Yeah, I agree. We... I agree with you. Yeah. But when he says we're going to entrap a uh, time lord, I didn't think that, okay, we're now going to have a scene where Davros slaps on some spandex and we see him sort of sexily dodge lasers. And like, <laughs> it, it's, it's not going to be, that's not what's going to happen. I, I assumed that, okay, well, if anything, it's going to be something closer to Doc is going to wake up in chains and they've strapped electrodes to his, you know, dick and balls. Okay, I, I will check that actually. I'll make sure that that isn't before. No, it's not. It is. It's it's when Soph has um, encased him in snakes inside the chair. So he has already encased him in snakes. Is my point? Yeah. Oh, that's exactly the wrong place. If if he had said before that, 
Snake's colony south. We're going to entrap a Time Lord, and and then you thought that the encasing the snake that's the tr- that's in the, the chair trap, quote unquote, rather than entrapment. Yeah, yeah, and and then afterwards you can think, oh, he's actually trapped him so that he can reveal his softer side. Ah, I mean, it's confusing. It doesn't quite work, but it would have been better. Yeah, I think I took it to be more literal <laughs> than anything else. Yeah, mm, still, why have it at all? Ugh. Meh. Well, Murph, for you because you, there's no way that you could ever believe that Davros could ever change one whit. But... Hey, don't say that, man. <laughs> Look, he's space I'm happy that he, he has. shouldn't change. I get it. But I'm happy that he has, or I'm, I'm happy that their relationship has changed. Or well, at least they're leading each other on in, in such an artful way. I'll save it for my mini. But Okay, okay. In part one, we all said, wouldn't it be nice if we got to see that bit of a snake with a pair of eyes and a mouth and a nose on it? Here we get to see eyes on a snake. Yeah, on the cables. And it sort of fades out. It's almost holographic, that pair of eyes. Because it, 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 it looks like a cable and then suddenly it's a snake and it's like the, the snake skin can change its form. Change its patterning. Yeah, like it can camouflage itself. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Because when the dock is all entangled in the cables, they just look like cables. You, didn't, you wouldn't know it's a snake there, but we've already seen the little flash, so we know that the snake is there. I don't know. I, at various points in the episode, there are plenty of cables with snaky harlequin patterning on them i know i mean they've made it easy to camouflage but it definitely there's a point where it's cable and then it flips to snake and then it flips back again okay okay yeah so yeah that so that, that answers so yeah maybe that maybe the eyes are not permanently there they're just that's part of the camouflage yeah i think you're right yeah. still i kind of wanted to see a, a nose it, the thing <laughs> i thought interesting was that we saw them separate so there was colony of was somewhere and a bunch of his snakes was somewhere else. I can't remember now exactly what was happening. Was that when he was... A bunch of his agents. Yeah, but he was still... He was still in his humanoid form, but he just like sent off a bunch of. He's like miss. He's he's missing uh, an appendage. Yeah, exactly. He's just hopping. <laughs> yeah, but because he doesn't need legs, he just has a central trunk, if you will. Where we're going, we don't need legs. <laughs> exactly. Just gonna stand on my snake dick. That's how he's getting around. It's the rattle. I... It's a, his dick is a rattle. <laughs> <laughs> No, sorry, I can't add to that. I can't. I want to, but I can't. (laughs) We can't go to ratings without first mentioning the countdown. Of course. (laughs) How do you feel about it, Drew? I liked this countdown. Hmm. Because... It is a countdown with mystery. It's not on a piece of tech that is definitely going to zero at a specified point a few minutes from now. It is the doctor at his own pace, shrouded in mystery, saying a simple three, two, one. You don't need any more numbers than that. A countdown from three cannot possibly outstay its welcome. Any higher numbers are superfluous, it turns out. I think that this is perhaps the platonic ideal of countdowns. Marie, would you be up for recording a Drew Reacts to Countdowns jingle for the podcast? <laughs> that The basis for which is a countdown, and it starts at like 37. <laughs> I think we should definitely do that. <laughs> My- Every other episode, we just play that jingle and <laughs> to let Drew have at it. <laughs> My note was at this rate, I'm going to have to do an article counting down Doctor Who's greatest countdowns. Oh. Yes, please do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll just watch them all again. It'll be fine. <laughs> a week off. Every episode. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing was something I meant to mention earlier was about the Dalek splooge. We've seen Daleks hovering and flying throughout this episode in citywide shots. But suddenly, when they're under attack from subterranean sludge, they are rooted to the floor. They are unable to do anything about this ground-based threat. It's cheap. It's not good enough. That's true. And That's so that it... true. Just hover a foot above ground and the diarrhea is just going to bubble underneath them. Yeah, you are newly charged up with regeneration energy. You can do more than hover a foot above the ground. You can fucking blast a Dalek-shaped hole in the concrete wall of this nipple. Just zoom on out of there. <laughs> the diarrhea has already come upwards to come up through the floors. Why couldn't it go further upwards and then like drop down on them from the ceiling? Well, yes, that was the next part of my note. Have the scene imbued with a little more kinetic energy. Have it spray out all over the room like a fine mist so it's inescapable. Have fountains of ooze, geezers of splooge all over the city, just drenching everything. It, it wouldn't have been beyond the special effects team. It's interesting that both of you seem to think that this is... <laughs> this is semen to you guys. To me, it is just straight-up diarrhea. <laughs> well, it's Dalek life force, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. We, we see life force in different bodily functions, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what are they teaching you in Swedish biology? I don't know. <laughs> Ratings? Right. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. I'm going to be as concise as I can be. Let's go through the characters. The fake war doctor, in a sense, this pseudo war doctor is he's sensational. The, the second he <laughs> he sits down in that chair, he I don't want to say he steals the show because I want to say Davros steals the show in this one. But Capaldi does an immense job. It was like it, this, if you subtract hope from this character, he becomes so interesting. It, not that he's not always interesting, but he becomes so interesting. And I loved seeing that. The, the teacup, the bumper cars, the, the rage, and the superiority, the look on his face as he, as he looks down on an entire species of his nemeses, justifiably full of himself, and I love it. Uh, Clara is good, but that's it. I feel like there's not enough Clara, perhaps, or, or... Yeah, I mean, she doesn't really get to act that much. I still feel that there's a bit of a missed opportunity with the whole Clara and a Dalek scenario. Maybe they could have done more with that confrontation between Doc and Clara. Missy is spectacular as well, but too slapsticky. Davros, as I said, yeah, he steals the show. He is much more interesting to me now than he's ever been before. Well done, Mr. Bleach, was it? Can't remember now. Great guy. Julian Bleach. And what a name! What a celebrity name! Julian Bleach! Oh, love him. The Daleks somehow, even though this is a Dalek-heavy episode, the Daleks are somehow secondary to the plot. Screw the Empire, this is uh, Luke versus Palpatine. Very interesting stuff. But where this episode falls short, and why I feel that it is not as strong as part one, is because I really didn't like the whole diarrhea B-plot. I didn't feel that the slapstick was, was necessary. I didn't feel that... 
any of the plot holes could be filled. There's too much that doesn't make sense or that requires us to spend around two hours of dissecting and trying to justify these plot holes for for us to not stumble into them and faceplant into the... the Dalek crap. (laughs) It's not that I fear change. I I really want to clarify that. I am all for some of these aspects of of the Hooniverse and and, and of this, this show to evolve, but I feel like maybe they squeezed a little bit too much change into one episode to then rewrite history. Oh th- no, this part of this double feature specifically oh, that, okay. that I'm I'm nowhere near as enthralled as I was in part 1. So I'm really sorry. This is nowhere near a 5.0 for me. This is also nowhere near the rating that I gave part 1. But it is higher. You guys have talked me up. This conversation has been... I have had such a good time tonight. This has been lovely. (laughs) And even though it is not a great episode, it opens up so much scope for conversation, for debate, that I have increased my my score. I've raised it. I was originally going to give this somewhere in the high twos. I'm very sorry. I'm really sorry. But I have... (laughs) I'm I'm really, really sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also a sorry podcast land but i'm gonna settle on a three point uh-huh. four okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry that's fine we're still friends <laughs> but if we were in the same room i'd be thinking about punching i, I wouldn't i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna give the counter perspective here this episode can't be given as low as a 3.4 because it is chock full of good lines. Sorry, the seat's taken. Ever ring a doorbell and run away? We've exhausted the conventional means of communication. That was an easy guess. Please exterminate me because I've been on my feet all day. I mean, Missy, alone, surely, over and over again, despite the occasional slapstick lapse. But anyway, the stakes in this episode, they couldn't be higher morally, dramatically, or cosmically. We are treading on hallowed ground in this serial, as Leon alludes to. More than that, this is the second part of a Moffat doubleheader, and yet he's not fucking everything up. It develops the points in the Death in Heaven climax that I was so frustrated about. It goes some small way to redeeming even that as an anemic setup. The Doctor here is in his own personal hell, but it's not called that. Great. He isn't being asked to sacrifice himself. There's no messianic narrative here. When he's hooked up and being sapped of his regeneration energy, it's because it appears he's been tricked by old Dave himself. I like all of that. The juggling of storylines and the cuts between them are all so judicious and cool. I will use the word cool unironically for this episode. (laughs) I I can't see how sections of it could be improved upon. When Clara and Missy are thrown outside the city at the beginning and then are sneaking in through the sewers, it's as if they're storming Davros's castle. It appeals to me in some deep, fundamental, fairy tale way. Just the structuring of it. I know that they don't ultimately do that much, but the way he sets it up just means I buy into it. What I most liked about this episode, though, is how professional it is. So much of Doctor Who is amateurish. You've got wonky homespun ingenuity fighting desperately in the face of low budgets or showrunners who aren't quite up to the job interfering and wrecking nightmare in silver for instance or writers insufficiently supervised on the other hand not following through with their third acts in the forest of the night and just producing utter crap something somewhere 
usually will reek of overreach or underwriting. But here, I think, is a creative who, for once, is fully in control of what he is putting on the screen, with all the actors he wants in the roles, playing the characters in just the way he wants, alive to the implications of his dialogue, and bully for me, not trying to make some domineering anti-religion commentary while he's at it. When Capaldi is in that chair, they didn't show him in close-up. His intensity would have vaporized the lens. He is on <laughs> fire. He is incendiary. I loved it. I don't know what more I could want from 45 minutes, which is why I came into this wanting to give it a 5.0, perhaps a little too much. The confessional dial is ultimately, as we have discussed, a confusing minus. I will take another smidge off for sundry imperfections, see the previous two hours, but on the whole, must-see TV, 4.8. Completely unaffected by the naivete of the bluff and double bluff. Oh, okay, 4. Oh my goodness. All right, fine. 4.8. I came down, take it. <laughs> A smidge. <laughs> Two smidges. Two smidges. Okay, okay. Hey, my turn. Do you know what? I've really enjoyed this episode and mainly listening to Drew talk about this episode. Um, and just, hey, I'm right I, here. I know, I know. Keep You're going, Marie. Keep going. going. Um, but... No, I like your enthusiasm. <laughs> it's infectious. But no, yeah, just like a couple of things that you just that you picked out on. I liked the vampire analogy earlier. And it did make me think I I do wonder if there was something in it because it was set up right from the beginning, which we didn't mention that the like the vampire monkeys in the very first like opening oh, scene. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Which is what I was going to say if everyone hadn't have kept talking over me. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's all right. But, um, and, and then, and again, you just mentioned the, like, the idea of like storming the castle, which it totally had that vibe about. Um, and it just feels like, like very like old school horror is coming for you. And, and I loved it. It's really cool. And actually, that scene in particular, there's a moment when... Um, okay, so we've already established that there was no danger whatsoever in the last scene. Clara and Missy die, but we know they're coming back. They come back in the very first episode, so there's no drama there. Everyone's happy. But actually, them coming in from the sewers, and there's a moment where the Doctor is enraged. He thinks Clara is dead. He thinks his, his best buddy and his long-time arch nemesis have been slaughtered, and he's about to explode and just destroy the whole planet. And Missy makes the very casual comment, if he destroys them all, we go with them. And that, to me, felt like the biggest threat of the whole two-parter. Like, that felt like he could make very callous decision to just blow up the Daleks and would unwittingly kill his friends in the process. So I feel like there was danger in this episode. Yeah, you've already mentioned, like, all the, all the characters were fantastic. Missy, in particular, always deserves a mention. I could watch her for hours. I thoroughly enjoyed it and kind of stuck where I was. I go, I'm going to go with a 4.3. 4.3. You got those numbers the wrong way around, Marie. Now, once again, that is the mature, grown-up, emotionally just capable <laughs> rating of this episode. But it was, it was so, it was thoroughly enjoyable. It like, was. And I, it was. I can tell because I've, I've written hardly any notes, and I do that when I'm just enjoying an episode too much. To like writing distracts me, so. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, excellent. I'm I'm speechless, partly due to ratings envy, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
two point something. <laughs> oh, shame on you, Leo. Shame on you, Leo. I shouldn't Leo. have confessed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing to put in your confession dial and rewrite later. <laughs> Is that worth five billion years of punching a wall? Uh. <laughs> uh, I think that's too small a crime for this, Mister. That's too small a punishment. Shall we have a listen to Podcast Land, perhaps? I dread what they have to say, but let's. Oh, not as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Okay, so this week we have three listener minis. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop, whoop. One whoop per mini. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> and the first whoop is thanks to Eccleston is Best. Hello, Eccleston is Best. Eccleston is Best begins. The second episode in the last Dalek 2 part in New Who so far. Davros wants the Doctor's lives to regenerate himself and his children. Oh my goodness. He wants the Doctor's lives to regenerate himself. This is a master plot. Ah, oh, Leon, you bugger. <laughs> <laughs> Clara and Missy survive for some reason that Eccleston is best is too dumb to understand. Very <laughs> self-aware and humble of you, Eccleston is best. Hilarity, still provided by Missy, ensues. And Eccleston is best provides us with some Suntarans. The idea that Daleks are bioengineered to continue living. The look of a dead Scarrow that compares to the one seen in The Daleks and The Asylum of the Daleks. More of the Dalek and Endless Dalek Night soundtrack. Am I a good man? When I first saw this episode, I found this moment to be creepy and scary, that Davros would think that what he was doing was right. This never really came up in Genesis of the Daleks. And Lars Sontaran, the Doctor using the severed Dalek gun limb as a weapon, calls back to Genesis of the Daleks. Mm. I'd forgotten that entirely. All right. But it's not all Sontarans for Eccleston is best. He also has some pig slaves. First up, where are the new Paradigm Daleks? I might be the only person who likes them. Uh, yes. <laughs> Certainly around here. <laughs> but Eggson wants the rainbow thimbles. Victory of the Daleks was their first ever Dalek episode. So the Power Ranger waste bins <laughs> are the Daleks. <laughs> to Eccleston is best. My goodness. Oh. <laughs> Fine, fair enough. <laughs> and how does this teleport escape work? Missy says she uses the energy being shot at her to power the teleport. When I shot a rifle at my car, it did not go. Now all I have is holes peppering my bumper. You can't be the invisible android assassin and the driver. <laughs> <laughs> and final pig slave. Also, snake eyeball cables. Ugh, whatever. And Nicholson as best gives this a rating of 4.2 pointy stabby sticks. Mm, Marie, what do you think of that rating? <laughs> Seems a bit low to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. It's identical or nothing. Nothing to me. <laughs> Good stuff, Eccleston is best. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Who we got next? Why, that would be Eddie Rock! <laughs> Eddie is back to rock along this temporal highway with their review of the witch's familiar, with their air of their vortex manipulators, which Eddie would like to think Missy seduced away from Captain Jack. Clara and Missy managed to escape from their certain deaths. This is just the first example in this episode of the classic hand-waving deus ex machina that Doctor Who does so well. Whether it's liquid Daleks or the concept of mercy, this show always gives you just enough of an explanation to go, what? Mm, sure, okay, if you say so. <laughs> 
They even go as far as to say, why? Because I'm the doctor. Just accept it and move on. But I thought I thought the genius of that line was to harness it to something so trivial as the doctor having a cup of tea. Mm. If he'd said it about anything serious, anything weight-bearing, I would have been incensed. <laughs> I think this is a brilliant observation. This is like a, hey, no, no, no. He can get away with anything. This show can get away with anything. And, and, and we love it for that. Plus, the Doctor does have Mary Poppins pockets. It is not beyond the fandom to believe that somewhere in there, there's not just a beautiful uh, cup and saucer, but a kettle and a little <laughs> bag of Tetleys. <laughs> and a, a mobile power unit. Well, I suppose maybe it's just a battery-powered kettle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't mind the tea Cup. I, I mean anything else. I, I mean the, the writer's being given free license to just be like, it's a doctor. I can get away with anything. You can't you can't do that. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Reviewing anything less than 5.0. In, in the sorry, this is kind of a tangent, but in the last classic that we reviewed, the doctor at one point is clinging to the side of a pit and he pulls out a book on how to like how to climb, I think it was, but it's written in Tibetan, so he pulls out another book which is Teach Yourself Tibetan, and he starts teaching himself Tibetan. <laughs> <laughs> whilst trying to escape. This fits. This absolutely fits. <laughs> that is hilarious. Of course I'm on board with that. <laughs> but there are ways in which it can be done which lead to nothing but incensement. Incensing? You get me. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Rock does continue and says Missy was brilliant as per usual. Davros gave a fantastic performance that almost had us believing he was being sincere. But we know better, don't we? And apparently so does the Doctor. With a final convenient move, his sunglasses are shown to be the new sonic screwdriver. Now that it's being revealed, can I complain about them? I hate them. I get that they're trying to keep things fresh, but they are completely ridiculous. Epic fail. Why? It's the Doctor. Just Accept it and move on. <laughs> Hoisted by her own petard. <laughs> Eddie has some less contentious highlights of the episode. One, Missy's story at the beginning. Two, the doctor in Davros's chair with tea. And three, the buddy cop chemistry of Missy and Clara. Overall, Eddie Rock didn't like it as much as part one uh, and gives it a 3.8 out of five vampire monkeys. That's more like it. <laughs> <laughs> Bit low. <laughs> oh, you wait. <laughs> <laughs> and Eddie Rock will see you next time. Till then, rock on. That's right. Rock on, Eddie Rock. Uh, people who are not Eddie Rock, please follow Eddie Rock on Twitter. He can be found at the Eddie Rock. All in one word! For your convenience. Who's next? Why, next up, we've got one from Michael. Ridgeway! Ridgeway! Love you, Michael! So big! <laughs> There's no leg space in his chair. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This is just one, one <laughs> relentless list of beefs. <laughs> Leon, I feel like you should take the first one. I, 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 I can't, I can't bring myself to yet. All right, Michael's first boof is fake news deaths of Clara and Missy. A cheap shot cliffhanger with a half-assed explanation of techno babble bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Marie, you got to sub in for me. <laughs> and the subject of cheap shots, Doctor yanking Davros out of his wheelchair. What a really mean thing to do! But I guess only mildly less sick than attaching an explosive to Davros's wheelchair in Destiny of the Daleks. Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> mildly. Oh. <laughs> 
The fate of Mini Davros was a cop-out. Did the Doctor rescuing Davros merely give the Daleks the vocabulary of mercy? If so, big deal. They still go around <laughs> slaughtering civilizations um, mercilessly. They only yell mercy if they're losing. Wouldn't it have been more interesting if the Doctor had zapped Mini Davros and explored a universe without the Daleks that was unexpectedly shittier? Like it's a wonderful <laughs> life with Davros and George <laughs> Bailey. Christmas special, please. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Oh, marvellous. <laughs> Next beef. Do these episode titles bug anyone else? What do they mean? Why wasn't it called The Sewers of Scarrow? And why do Dalek City interiors look less interesting than the 1960s Dalek City sets, built with old shoeboxes and spittle? <laughs> yeah, this is the Dalek equivalent of RTD's Shadow Proclamation. I was just lavishly oh. praising Moffat's rebooting of that last week, and he's given it to the Daleks this week. Yeah, true. Michael's next <laughs> is, why is Davros posh? You mean <laughs> mini David Cameron on the battlefield, yeah? And if he is a rich kid, why is he dressed as a tramp and running around a battlefield? Final beef. How did Missy escape the Daleks? Anyone else catch the sneaky line about Missy slash the master having a daughter? Audiobook number six. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that line. What was that? That was just before the Dalek encountered them in the sewers. Missy's talking about the dark star material. The doctor gave it to her on the birth of her daughter. Oh, I totally blanked on that. Oh, wow, yeah. So that's up for grabs, potentially. Yeah. And to summarise, Michael loves Davros, Missy, and of course, the star of the show, the... Seven's Doctor. Nemesis, the special weapons Dalek. And this episode, for all its flaws, is better than most TV. But, sigh, it could have been so much more. Then Michael gives this a rating of 2.9 out of 5 Daleks being gunked by grumpy, slimy sewer Dalek pensioners. <laughs> There's comeuppance for not looking after the elderly. <laughs> Oh, what a note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael Ridgway. Podcast Land, would you like to tell Michael how much you agree with his rating? Please do. He can be found at bad. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. <laughs> Club. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Club. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. That is it. This has been an intense evening. It really has. I didn't think you were going to knock me off my 5.0 pedestal, but you did. So I'm going to have to stay on the podcast after all. Oh, it's a relief. <laughs> the search goes on. <laughs> Next up, we will have a classic Who review, namely of Nightmare of Eden. After which, uh, Marie, I think we're back with a new Who review of... Uh, that would be Under the Lake. And at some point, we're going to do an audio uh, who review, right, Drew? That's right. Relative dimensions. Bingo bongo. In the meantime, you can probably say hello to us online in uh, one form or another. Marie, do you subscribe to some sort of um, online forum? Uh, I do indeed. You can follow me on Instagram at Hamash and Jelly. Hamash and Jelly, you say? I do. <laughs> Drew? 
I'm on Twitter, Andrew McWen. Excellent branding. And I'm at Ponkin on Twitter because... Still? Really? I found a different moniker. I wanted to use it. Someone else has registered that Twitter handle. They've never tweeted. They've never liked anything. They have five followers. They don't follow anyone. And they've had a hold of that bloody name since 2010. Bloody hell, okay. Wow, they saw you coming. (laughs) So I'll think of something else. (laughs) Oh, sorry, dude. That's all right. Uh, But I have had a blast. That just remains uh, to say thank you so much, Podcast Land. You've been a lovely audience. Until next time, rock on, be rad and excellent to each other, and cha-chao. Bye-bye. Toodles. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?